All right, welcome everybody to the Service Hub where we talk about tips, tricks, and really any kind of advice um, when it comes to running a service-based business. Today, we've got an awesome guest with us, Josh Latimer. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome, or as Dave Ramsey says, better serve. That's how I'm doing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> We're super excited to have Josh on on with us today. Josh has had Josh has an awesome background. Um, I don't even want to try and tell you what he's doing because he's he's just doing so much. Josh, give us a little bit of a, uh, an idea of what you're up to and kind of a little bit of your background and what you what you've done um, over the years. Okay, well, I'll start at the beginning and I'll go really, really fast so I don't bore everybody. But I started as a pizza delivery driver. I crushed <laughs> that pizza dri- delivery days. I was a Domino's pizza guy. Uh, I worked really hard. And while I would deliver pizzas, I would like listen to Tony Robbins cassette tapes or like Robert Kiyosaki. And I was really interested in entrepreneurship, but um, didn't really know where to start. Well, at the age of about 25, I finally decided to go all in and start a cleaning business just south of Flint, Michigan. So if you ever heard of Flint, Michigan, it's not exactly a tourist destination. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so I lived in a trailer park with my high school sweetheart. We had gotten married. And at 25, when she was uh, pregnant with our first son, I started cleaning windows. And my family thought I was crazy. And maybe people watching this, you, when you started your business, your family thought you were crazy. Uh, we call those people normies now. Like they just don't <laughs> understand the entrepreneurial brain. Um, anyway, struggled massively, did not make money, almost lost everything. I mean, had a car repossessed, had our electricity shut off. We've, I, my wife's debit card declined trying to buy groceries and she calls me crying. And for a couple of years, it was like that. It was just pain and suffering until about year two and a half, I started to figure some things out. And more or less what I figured out was this idea of systems that, you know, like businesses needed systems and like, and and what does that mean? And so I, the business tripled uh, immediately just when I started looking at it like that from there, it took off like a rocket ship and we grew a nice size cleaning company doing uh, between 150 and $190,000 a month during it was a seasonal business, but it was totally automated. I was obsessed with systems. We had 25 employees and like, I like, didn't even have to touch it, right? So like I wasn't even cleaning anything. I was working like five hours a week with that company. And um, then we sold it. So a company from California, it actually wasn't for sale, but they were trying to buy companies around the country, made us a really good offer. So we sold it and we moved uh, to Costa Rica. So we moved to Costa Rica. We're living the dream down there, having fun, had like monkeys in our backyard and stuff, like literally. (laughs) And we had another baby down there. Um, at that point, that was our, our fourth child. And while I was down there, I started a podcast uh, talking about systems for service companies and things like that. It's called the Quick Talk Podcast. And you know, since then, it's had you know 700,000 downloads, which is crazy. I didn't even wow. know that there's that many people that would be that big of nerds like me and want to <laughs> listen about this. Um, and I also started a software company called Send Gym. And I started an educational company in that same time frame called Automate Grow Sell. Long story short, those are kind of my current businesses. I sold off uh, Automate Grow Sell to a friend of mine who's running it. Uh, Send Jim is now doing a couple million a year in sales. It's a marketing automation software. And we hired a CEO for that business. And so my like my trend to like get out of the thing and like build a machine, like that's my passion, my obsession. And that kind of brings us uh, to today. You're the wow. you're the true definition of a uh, a serial entrepreneur, 
honestly, you're you're kind of like living my dream right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard because like as soon as the business starts working, I start to get bored with it. And that's really, really a dangerous thing. And really, even now, like something I got to be really careful of, right? Because we have shiny object syndrome and we see opportunity everywhere. And if you're in the middle of growing your business, I I wanted to sell my business like 17 times before I actually did. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like I was like bored with it or I get annoyed with it or I'd see all these other opportunities. Uh, But that would have been a horrible mistake. And I'm glad that I didn't. Um, sell it, you know, prematurely. Um, but it's all a learning game, and you know, being able to focus and kind of finish is one of the hardest things to learn. I think, at least for me. Yeah, no, that's that's super powerful, and I think it's I think it's really awesome that you actually recognize because that that's also a strength and a weakness, right? Like I, the strength to be able to say, I'm really good at starting things and getting it to a point, but I'm really bad at staying focused and sticking with it for 10 years, I need to be willing to give up something and hire somebody like a CEO to come in and actually help manage the program or the, the business. And, um, you know, that's, that's super admirable, honestly. Like a lot, I think too often people don't take the time to think like, what am I good at? There's different skill sets. Like every once in a while, like I know Trevor worked for Tesla and you got Elon Musk. He's like a unicorn, you know, (laughs) but he's like the crazy risk-taking entrepreneur, but he's also a true CEO operator, you know, and I'm not really like that. I'm more like just I can take an idea and make a million dollars with it, but then it's like it takes a different type of skill to like stabilize it, scale it, right? So like having a spreadsheet, you know, really kind of like by the book disciplined CEO guy come in makes a lot of sense. But on the flip side, those types of people would probably never be able to just take an idea and go create a passionate thing and make that for, but when I hand it to, to our new CEO for send Jim, you know, for him, it's like the perfect baton in the real business. It's like, Hey, take what we have, clean it up, like make it bigger. Hmm. Here we go. But we have a foundation, um, which came from the crazy entrepreneur piece of it. Man, that's awesome. That is awesome. When I, when I, you know, listening to all this, you know, we've gone through a bit of your history talking about, you know, those days struggling. And I can just imagine some people listening and be like, oh man, that was my wife last night getting that same (laughs) debit card denied. Like, oh, like, like, tell me what, what was this system? You know, they're probably like, oh man, go back. Like, tell me what, what what did you do? So I guess that's one, one question I have is what were some of those early implementable things that like maybe our listeners could do today to, to save their wife on, on the on the terrible cry at the grocery store experience. And here's a quick tip. The first thing when when your debit card is declined that needs to happen is you got to tell the cashier the cashier first of all, ma'am, you need to lower your voice. Okay, that's step one, right? <laughs> like, uh, excuse me, sir, your card's declined. It's like, excuse me, you need to lower your voice right now. <laughs> and we do denial. We're like, are my cards declined? <laughs> that's silly. That's preposterous. Just, that's just write it on a piece of paper. Let's try it again. <laughs> Clearly, the internet's broken. Clearly. <laughs> um, no, so what systems? I'll tell you. There's a one foundational cornerstone of every single successful business on the planet, and it's sales and marketing. Sales and marketing are not the same thing, but they're like peanut butter and jelly, and you need to figure out both of them. You're dead before you start if you don't have a plan to to sell. So, for example, there's all these companies out there that are like artisans. They're really good at the thing. You know, E-Myth, Michael Gerber talks about like just because you're a baker doesn't mean that you can have a successful bakery, right? You might make the best bread in the world, but if you don't know how to build a business around it, you're screwed. And like HVAC guys or plumbers or any of these guys, some of them are really good at the thing that they do, the deliverable, but they don't know how to scale a business around that. 
And what's frustrating for them, for the artisans, is that they'll see a company that does less quality work that's doing a hundred times more revenue than them, taking a hundred times more vacations than them, driving nicer cars than them. Like their kids are wearing better shoes than their kids. And they're like, they have this, like this pride and this anger, like you don't even plumb nearly as, but you got to understand it's not just about the deliverable. It's just (laughs) about the product or the service. It's about marketing and sales, managing customer expectations, you know, taking your customers through a process, upselling, reselling, knowing your numbers through all of that stuff. So the short answer is uh, most people watching this probably need to get way more obsessed with sales and marketing. They're probably only focused on it when they're broke and they should be selling even harder going into the busy season instead of waiting till things drop off, then spending all their money trying out things that don't work and then to get busy again. And it's like they're doing everything backwards when it comes to sales and marketing. That's first thing that needs to shift for most people. Yeah. You know, um, I'm, I'm going to bring something cool up that you guys might not know about. So Josh also has a, I think it's a free tool. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's called revenue buddy, right? Yeah. Yeah. For now it's free. Yeah, it's been free. It's been out there for a couple of years. It's awesome. Yeah. So for those that don't know anything about revenue buddy, go, you know, we'll, we'll include like the link in the, uh, the show notes. It literally helps you do kind of what, what Josh just talked about. It helps you know when should I be marketing and when should I be focusing on sales um, and how much spend should I be putting into it, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, but I, I, I just signed up like a couple weeks ago for it and I was blown away. I was like, holy crap, man, I wish I had this like a year and a half ago or two years ago. So Yeah, well, basically, you know, okay, so let's say this is a cheesy analogy, but there's the Gulf of Mexico and there's a sailboat. There's no rudder though, but it's just sitting there, right? So the winds and the waves, you're, you're, you're moving, you're going somewhere. You don't know where you're just kind of like bouncing around out there. That's how most small businesses are. So they're in business, their grandma refers them to her neighbor and it begins. You got your first customer and you get some referrals, you do a couple <laughs> things and, and you're just kind of like bouncing and going with the currents, right? Uh, but there's not any structure. There's no strategy behind where you're going. So Revenue Buddy is a way to set a target, like a sales target for the year. Like, okay, we're going to do a half a million dollars in sales this year. Uh, and and then we're confident that without any extra effort, we're going to do 200000 of that just, just because that's what we did last year, let's say. And so Revenue Buddy, what it does is it helps lay out what we call your is your revenue curve. Most service companies don't have flat revenue, most of them. Uh, most of them, it's like you get busy and then it falls off cliff and it goes up and down and up. Revenue Buddy lays that out for you and it, sh- it shows you the difference between the goal for that month, your base for that month, and here's the sweet spot is what's called the gap. So when I coach people, I work with people, one of the number one things we talk about over and over is what's your gap? How are we going to close the gap? We need to be obsessed with the gap. You know, Most people are going to make X amount of money without doing anything because their name's out there, they have a good reputation. But if you want to triple that, there's a gap. And we have to build strategies to close the gap. And Revenue Buddy helps with that. There's a lot more we could go into with it, but that's an overview. Totally. Yeah, Trevor always calls them levers, right? Like you got to have a lever that you can pull and be able to generate that revenue that you need or those new customers that you need. You can't just sit around and wait for the phone, phone to call. Or the I mean, you can. It's just you're not going to have a sellable business. You're not going to have a real asset. What happens if you get hurt? Yeah. Right. Is there a reactive way to to be? It's dangerous. It's risky. I don't like it. it makes me uncomfortable. Like I'm scared for owner operators. You know, it makes yeah. me nervous. Um, totally. 
because there's so many stories of people getting hurt and even in small ways and they're just screwed. You know, I read a stat that 20, I think there's like 28, it's either 26 or 28 small business, million small businesses in the United States. And like 22 million of them are less than two weeks away from overdrafting their checking account. Oh my goodness. Like, these businesses don't have money. They don't have levers, let alone money, let alone any idea how to go get the money. They're just going with the current out there floating. And when things are going good, it's okay. Yeah. If something happens, it can get weird really quick. <laughs> right. Exactly. My, my question is, you know, you go into a lot of these businesses and you're helping them to close that gap. It, do you find like a trend as far as what's going to help them close the gap? Uh, you know, any specific thing that is implementable that you can say, hey, yeah, this is what oh, I keep yeah. seeing. Oh, my gosh. Some people might not like this answer, but I promise it's the truth. Okay, so be open minded and don't check out. Okay, but the real best way to close the gap starts with belief. You know, the number one reason these businesses don't grow is because of belief. They're scared. They think their market's different. They think something's wrong with them. They think that, well, it works for them, but for some reason it won't work over here. Or what they do is they dabble. They do a little bit of this. I'm going to do 50-yard signs and do a Facebook ad for five seconds and do a little bit. And I call it buffet-style marketing. And they're dabbling, and they won't go deep and master something because of fear, because they don't believe it's going to work in the first place. I, I, I ask people, if you knew with certainty that you could make a $1 million this year if you just did A, B, C, and D, would you do A, B, C, and D? And everybody's like, of course I would. Well, it's because they would have the certainty. Well, the problem is, is there is no certainty with entrepreneurship. You have to have belief, you know, and that might sound a little bit like murky in terms of tactics, but it's all in your head. You know, we can, we could have a business in Cincinnati, Ohio, that someone struggled with for 15 years to, to do a hundred grand a year. And I could take a different person, put them in the same market, with the same services, with the same checking account balance, with the same exact everything, and that guy could build a million-dollar business in 24 months. The only difference really is is belief and expertise, but it's the belief because the, the one guy would just be going crazy and just implementing, executing, selling, networking, going, 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 serving customers, doing the right thing, like staying focused, working late because they know what the outcome will be from their efforts. And the smaller businesses that haven't had success before – they always hold back. They always do a little bit. They get uncomfortable. They hold back. They don't want to look stupid. They don't want to fail. They don't want to lose a thousand dollars like that's some life threatening thing. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's my opinion on that. That's super powerful. One of one of the guys I follow and kind of like a mentor of mine. His name's David Cancel. He's created this giant software company called Drift. Um, has nothing to do with service businesses, but. He's, he's a really smart individual and he, he talks about being willing to make a $1,000 mistake, a $10,000 mistake, a $100,000 mistake, and a million dollar mistake, and, and even up to $10 million mistake. And he says, those that have made a million dollar mistake, they're your successful people. Like they're the ones that, that are out there killing it because they're testing, they're trying, they're, they're putting forth the effort to, to build build that's their awesome. dream. So that's really cool. I've never be, heard that. Yeah. yeah. Be, be willing to make mistakes. Like, don't be afraid. It's well, school trains us our whole life that mistakes are bad. Like you get a question yes. wrong and they're like, no, or even sometimes you'll get a question, right? Like an interest tool, you'll get a math problem, right? But they'll still mark it wrong. If you didn't do the work a certain way that they told you to do it, maybe you <laughs> did it your own way. And so we're conditioned through like government indoctrination camps called public school to like never fail, be risk adverse. Like everyone will laugh at you and they're trying to get everybody to comply and they're creating these like 
I don't know, drones. And you might think that sounds dramatic, but I'm being literal. Like, so people that grow up as I did in our home, where it's like, go to school, get a good job, like go to the factory, do the thing, like burp, burp, burp. What happens is we're, pro- we're programmed that failing is some sort of bad thing. Whereas my kids, uh, failure is like the biggest high five ever. Like if you take an intelligent risk and it doesn't work and you learn something from it, I'm, I'm throwing a pizza party for that. Yeah. And we do that with our kids, like literally. Um, wow. My dad, when I started my business, he's like, Josh, you know, nine out of 10 small businesses fail. And I said, well, I better get my first nine done as fast as possible then, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> come out of the way. It's I want to so get to true. number 10 while I'm still in my 20s, dad. I'll yeah. show you, dad. But it's a different mindset. So I, I've got a question for you, Josh. So I, I liked what you said earlier about you. these these owner-operators right now need to put some attention into sales and marketing. Um, and and I don't believe that – I don't believe that uh, – um, sorry. I believe that anybody can learn anything. And it comes back to desire and belief, right? But let's say an owner-operator is like, I just don't want to do it. Like, I don't have any desire to learn sales and marketing. What would you suggest to somebody like that? Nothing. Uh, The one thing you can't train someone on is hunger. So on the opening of my podcast, it says, God gives the birds all the food they'll ever need, but he doesn't put it in their nest. You got to go get it. So I can't manufacture hunger in another human being. I just can't. So for people that are, that are like that, there's nothing wrong with them being like that. They're allowed to be like that. What they're not allowed to do is complain or be a victim or pretend like the universe is conspiring against them to keep them down. You, logically, you can't do that. No, thank you. But if you're happy and content, that's amazing. I mean, growing a big business or not, that's not like the purpose of life. The purpose of life is, is contentment and growth and to produce and serve other people. So I'm assuming they're that kind of person. I wouldn't give them any, any advice. Totally. Mm. Well, and like it's funny because sales and marketing really isn't that crazy. It's not that complicated. There is a lot that goes into it, but I think the the core important the, the key the key part is having a bird's eye view understanding of good marketing and good sales, and then or putting the right people in bad. place. Like, I, so to get more practical, to give people like really tangible value. So, a, a lot of people just busy, man. Like it's really hard to be a small business when you don't have a big team. It's so much harder to run a hundred to 200, $300,000 company than it is to run a million or $2 million company. It just is. Cause it's all on you. You're the HR department. You're the customer service. You're the, the, the payroll people. You're, you're the technician. You're changing your own oil in your work truck. Like you're doing all this stuff. And so when you hear a podcast like this and someone's like, do more sales and marketing, I, I understand like the tendency to want to roll your eyes, so here's what I mean. It's on a practical sense. First of all, you don't need to like do more sales and marketing. You need to be obsessed with sales and marketing and with your numbers and setting your goal, your goal and your gap and stuff like that. And then you have to build a team to support you. You have to. You have to have people to help you. So people don't want to hire employees because they say, I can't afford an employee. But what they're not understanding is that employees are free. Employees don't cost anything. They're completely free. They make you money. They don't cost you money. There's only certain things you can do to screw it up so bad to where they actually cost you money. Mm-hmm. For example, though, if you're billing out you know, $80 an hour for whatever thing you do, you're not going to pay your employee $81 an hour. You pay them $20 an hour. And there's a margin in there. It's called arbitrage, right? You're arbitraging their time. So like, you train them and you get them out there and you're making some money. Now, you might make a, a net total uh, 
that amount that's less because you know that twenty dollars an hour is going to them, but that's you only seeing part of it. Here's here's why they're free. If I'm going to give a thousand dollars a week for this employee to do the work instead of me, but it saves me twenty five hours a week in time, let's say. What, what I got to do is I have to arbitrage my time. So instead of me doing that $20 an hour task that now he's doing, I'm going to spend my time and work on a $200 an hour task. For example, sales and marketing. Mm. You know, most people, if you focus for eight hours and win out, you could sell a couple thousand dollars worth of your stuff a day. No problem. Like that wouldn't even be a big deal. For some people, it's more than that. So let's say that if, if, if I had a TV show and I was going to give you a million-dollar cash prize, if you could, in an eight-hour day, go sell $2,000 worth of your services, I would give you a million dollars and you'd win this prize and be this celebrity on TV. Like, how many of you would, would achieve that goal, right? Like, how yeah. hard would you work? How deep would you dig? How many doors would you knock? Your mindset would be totally different. 99% of the people would succeed because – you're crazy for not succeeding, right? Okay, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. So if it's true that pe- most people are capable of selling $2,000 worth of stuff in a day, what you got to also understand is that that client you get for $2,000, they're not worth just $2,000. They're worth like $15,000. You know, the U.S. Uh, D- Department of Labor and Statistics has a stat that says the average lifetime value of a client is eight to ten times the initial transaction amount. So if you sell $2,000 worth of stuff today, over the next decade, with repeats, resells, upsells, referrals, all the other opportunity that comes on the back end of the relationship, that means in eight hours, you've generated fifteen dollars or $20,000 in mm. actual dollars, okay, in eight hours. And, and yet, people want to make the argument that they need to go do the $20 an hour thing. And they stay stuck forever in perpetuity, forever and ever and ever. So it's a balancing act. It's not super simple. You got to make a hire. You got to train. You got to kind of do both. But you need to have that mindset that when you're selling, when you're working, you're literally making like $2,000 an hour in total lifetime value most of the time, even if you're not great at it. Which is, which is kind of liberating and very motivating, like for, especially for some businesses that make you know, you bring in a customer and you make $80, $80 for that one time, right? Or or a, a small amount. In their mind, they're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm only making like $100. This isn't worth it. No, <laughs> you're, you're getting a customer and you're going to make $8,000 over the course of 10 years. You're like... You're losing. You're you're losing the big picture. <laughs> yeah, people they focus on money. Everyone's obsessed with money. You know, broke people are more obsessed with anybody I've ever met than my, with money. Like people love money. Broke people they love it. They they like to pretend like wealthy people are bad, um, when in fact they're the ones that are have a death grip on it, and they like to pet their money and smell it and snuggle it, and they're like, oh, I love my money. I would never spend you. I will never give you to an employee. I will never invest you in something. Right. And because they're focused on the transaction, it's it's kind of like a prostitute versus a, a wife, right? It's like you're trying to do a transaction rather than have a relationship. When you look at your customers like long-term valuable assets and you slow down and pump the brakes and you, you do an insane good job and you take care of them and you run towards problems and you are proactive and asking for referrals and you actually follow up with them throughout the You just do these basic things. Um, you can't fail. It's like literally impossible. It takes a minute. It takes a minute to build the momentum up. But most people are running around being very transactional. Like, I got to make 300 bucks a day or I can't pay my electric bill. And they're like, 
they should charge 600, but they'll discount it to 300 and they don't even care about the customer. And you know what I'm saying? Like if, if you've ever hired contractors, you get that sense that you are a piece of paper towel to them. You are mm-hmm. a check to them. And those are the small, stuck, broke owner-operator companies, typically. Gosh. Man. This is gold, man. I'm yeah. so pumped on this. And what I love about it is like super implementable, but also I think people hear, you know, oh, how do I create more customer lifetime value? And they want like all sorts of crazy systems or, you know, process or this or that. And like when it comes down to it, it's like, no, it's how you view your customer. And I mean, how what you, you believe. Yeah. And it's what you believe they can provide for you. You know, going back to, you know, the belief ideas like, okay, what are, what are my core and fundamental beliefs about myself and my business and also my customers? Like, can they provide a decade's worth of, of income for me? And yeah, they absolutely can. As long as you treat them that of course way. They can. Like it's not even like a debate. Like people have dirty things that need to be clean. They have broken furnaces that need to be fit. Like somebody's doing it. You don't have to go right. even create customers. Like they're already mm-hmm. there. Like in your market, there might be $3 million worth of transactions happening around your service. You're just not getting any of it. The yeah, reason you're not I'm getting sure. any of it is because you're not selling and marketing and doing the right thing and having integrity so that that person refers five people. And then you have this really messed up job, but you stick it out and do what you said you do anyway. And then they tell it, it builds, right? Um, it's, it's the old school way. It's the thing that's always worked. It's just being phenomenal, following up. And by the way, all this applies to your employees too. Like, mm-hmm. We call our employees our internal customers. I didn't make that phrase up. My friend Michael Kaplan did, but he had a $20 million carpet cleaning business. And, and like, think of the mind bomb that that is. Mm-hmm. So most small companies, they view employees as like, they just have this really negative attitude around employees. Like, ah, millennials, they never want to work. They just want to <laughs> Like, that's not true at all. Like, the question I would ask you is, are you a company worth working for in the first place? Like, who the heck would even want to work for you? Like, you're not mm. owed labor. Like, the universe doesn't owe you human labor. Like, you have to be worthy of it. You have to market and, and attract employees. You have to invest in them over the long run, too, in a relationship, not just a transaction. Mm. And it's just a it's just a, a mind shift in that stuff. It, the way to make money is to serve other people, period. People say, Josh, how do you make a million dollars? I say, provide $3 million worth of value or $5 million or whatever it is. Like, that's it. That's a, If you guys are from a software company, if you want people to pay X amount per month, I don't know what it's going to cost, but let's say it costs $100 a month. They need to feel emotionally and logically like they're, they're receiving $500 a month in actual value. They're never going to stop paying it. Totally. That's our job with our employees and with our, our customers. So simple. Yeah. Such a such a simple mindset too. Like it, it just really brings it down low level. It, it is simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. the difference between complicated and being hard. Like they're not the same. These ideas are simple. Like anybody can do them, but doing them is hard. It, yeah. it is hard. And you might have to cut some relationships out of your life. You might have to get out of certain Facebook groups, not hang out with certain people. You might need to try to level up the people that you're friends with and the people that and speak into your life and stuff like that. Because it is going to be hard to do it. And, you know, monkey wrenches get thrown in all the time. You know, you make the hire. You're doing what you heard on this podcast. It's starting to work. The guy quits or he smokes a joint on the job site. <laughs> Something <laughs> weird will happen. And, like, you've got to have the grit to keep doing it again and to keep yeah. doing it again. There's a, okay. a book called, I think it's, I don't know if it's called Grit, but it's by a lady named Angela Duxworth. She did this whole study on like this military academy and all these high achievers. And long story short, there's only one commonality 
between all these high achievers. Some of them grew up poor, some of them grew up rich, some of them grew up middle, some of them had a dad in the house, some of them didn't, some of them this, that, the other. They're all different, but they're all high achievers. And the only common thread that they could find through this extensive research was grit. For whatever reason, these people had uh, abnormal amounts of grit. They just they just would show up, get punched in the mouth, and get up and keep going. That's actually the biggest indicator of if you're going to succeed. Another stat comes from golf. Uh, a friend of mine was a pro golfer. His name is Brian Bowman, and he's an e-commerce expert now. But Brian Bowman told me uh, earlier this year that the number one indicator of, of um, how well a, a, a golfer is going to do um, in like a tournament is there's one stat. It's like a KPI. It's called the bounce back rate. And I never heard this before, but the bounce back rate means when you totally screw up a hole, like you get a double bogey or whatever, like the score you get on the hole directly after that hole, the difference there determines how well you're going to do in that tournament. And really overall, that's like your number one metric as a golfer. If your bounce back rate sucks, if you can't have the grit to get punched in the mouth and stand back up and have a good attitude, you're, you're kind of screwed even if you are aware of all the systems. Wow. Gosh, wow. I love that. That's crazy, you know, to think that the biggest stat is based on really just like a mental framework and a mm-hmm. and a and an attitude. Totally. It's, like, yeah. it's not it's not Isn't your swing, well? it's not your stance, it's not all the stuff that we put so much emphasis into, but it's like, all right, what's going on up here? And it's so mm-hmm. applicable to the business to a, a business owner. Um, Josh, I've got, I've got one more question for you. We're kind of coming up on our time here. You're, you're a, a, a a father, a husband, you guys have five kids, right? Yes. And a dog. And we had a goldfish, but it died. (laughs) Poor goldfish. (laughs) Seriously. Rest in peace. So (laughs) most people that's listening to this, I would imagine have some relationships outside of business. (laughs) How are you managing both? Give us some tips and I mean, just from what I've seen, you seem like an awesome dad, an awesome husband, and you're a killer business owner. What are you doing right that is helping manage those two together? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Um, I'm not nearly as cool as what you just described. I promise you that. I'm not. I'm not. You know, one of the biggest unfair advantages I have is an, an absolutely rock star wife. And I'm not saying that in like the normal way where it's like, oh, I just want to thank my, my, my wife literally has more grace and resilience than really she should have logically based on things I've done to her, our family, financial things that have happened to us, mistakes I've made. She's always been my biggest cheerleader and that gives me a huge unfair advantage. So the way I see like the husband and wife dynamic, and then we'll talk about kids with business is um, you need to be hyper-connected with your wife, period. You need to have like-minded aligned goals. You know, a lot of married couples have like separate checking accounts and she kind of has her thing. That's insane to me. You have to be like in the same boat with everything else on fire. Like we're going to succeed or we fail together. Like we're sinking together. There's no safety net. I don't think that serves anything. But assuming that you're on the same page, but maybe your circumstances aren't great. There's this balance that goes back and forth between, you know, maybe you're the entrepreneur and your wife's like supporting you and you're down and she's like, it's okay. Like, I love you. Like, we're good. You got this. And then there's other times when you're neglecting her and she's any of her emotional buckets filled like nothing's happening you're disconnected you're always on your phone you're just obsessed with work it it literally feels to her like you're having an affair with your business mm. like on her like it's, it feels real right so then you got to pull that back and so there's this hyper communicated 
communication thing that needs to happen, right? Uh, and with your kids, you know, I'm of the belief that uh, you need to be open with your kids. So our kids are aware of like all kinds of stuff, all the revenue stuff, money stuff, our goals, how much money we give away to charity. We sit down, we have family council meetings. We have a lot of systems in our family that help. Now, I'm not home all day just playing baseball with my kids. I'm busy. I'm a busy person. So it's not just the quantity of time being with your family. It's the quality intentional time. So, for example, one of the systems I have with my kids that I've had for eight years is a special day each week for each kid. So we have Sawyer Sunday, Maverick Monday, Tucker Tuesday, Finley Friday, and then Judah is our baby, but so she doesn't start yet. But that will, I'll sit there for an hour and just play Legos or go for a walk or take them to get ice cream and talk to them like adults, ask them real questions. Uh, and that's created a strong culture in our in our household. Uh, but it goes both ways. You can't have support from your wife in perpetuity forever and not actually succeed. You can't just continuously be broke forever. You At, at some point, you got to deliver the goods. You got to club something and drag it home. Like you have to produce. <laughs> And a lot of men, they're like, they like to nag about their wife. Well, my wife's not on board, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, what have you done the last 10 years? Like, why would she believe in you? Um, you got to do something. And, you know, hopefully that didn't sound mean, but no. maybe someone needed to, to hear that. No, this yeah. is, this is money right here. I don't, I don't find a lot of podcasts talking about like, we, we talk too much about business, but what's crazy is our, our home life affects our business life so much tremendously, and so hearing you talk about this, I think is very beneficial to our, well, our men listeners. Men pretend and like everything they do is for their family, and it's not entirely true. We say that because that's like what you're supposed to say. Culturally. It's our excuse. <laughs> yeah. But men want to win, and they want to conquer stuff. There's a reason we like the movie Rocky. There's a reason we like the movie Braveheart. We kind of want to live this vicarious life through through like William Wallace and Braveheart. So we feel brave and dangerous because that guy is, or we watch sports all weekend because we're so emotionally invested in other people's insane physical prowess and all that. And somehow we feel strong. That's an illusion, right? But business gives you the opportunity to actually like, like become a beast. Like even if you're five foot two and you, and you're balding and you have bad eyesight, you could be a <laughs> beast, right? Like you could go conquer stuff. And so we have this drive and it's God given. Like, I think it, we're, we're designed to go to, to protect, provide and preside, I think is the way Ryan Mickler from Order of Man says it. Uh, and women are different. Like men and women are different and women are entrepreneurial too, but there is a difference in stuff. So I think like acknowledging that's okay. Cause my goal in life isn't to be Mr. Dad and sit around and like, like, like play board games eight hours a day. Like I would die inside because I'm designed <laughs> to produce Right. So, you know, but but being open about that is a big deal. Um, we actually have resources for entrepreneurial families. We have a quiz that we made um, that helps you like kind of an, uh, assess where your family systems are in the different areas mm -hmm. in your family, where you can improve it. And if you want to send people there, they can take the quiz. It's totally free. Oh, that's Absolutely. awesome. Where do they find that quiz? It's at a website called honorandfire.com. Honorandfire.com. That's awesome. You know, and I think we, we spent so much time, you know, speaking of internal customers, external customers, we spent so much time worrying about like, well, I mean, we should, uh, thinking, asking our customers, you know, what do you need? How can I help you? And we know that that'll grow our business. We hear that from a lot of people, but like how often do we actually like push into our families and go, you know, what, what do you actually want? What do you actually need? You know, my, my dad, he intentionally, it was really cool. He intentionally 
got a gym membership to a climbing gym because he knew my little brother was into it. And it was a way mm-hmm. that he could intentionally right. connect based on what he wanted, not necessarily yeah. what my dad wanted, but like, what is yeah. he into, you know? And it's like, oh, I don't, you know, if you're into Legos, I'm not into Legos. I don't care. I'm playing Legos because you're my customer. You're my best bud. And I think, I think that's really awesome that you're talking about, you know, intentional days for each person. And it takes, it takes a system. I mean, we're systems kind of guys. We're entrepreneurs. We're, we're business owners. Like let's, let's think of this strategically. And, and really systematize like it sounds kind of robotic and terrible almost but like systematize some love and, and make sure that everybody gets it, some it, it's not terrible though i mean um we go as far as systematizing sex so not every time but like, <laughs> but, but, but like that's a prudent practical thing it's funny because when we talk about this or my wife will actually talk about it and people get really weird and they're like well you can't schedule that and it's like, what are you talking about? Like, absolutely, your car needs an oil change. Like, you do it, or, or the <laughs> car will break. Right? Like, you and your wife's relationship is like the canopy of protection around every other part of your life. It's like a force field. I, I literally, when you're connected, when you're in alignment with your wife, and you guys are like on the same page. When you're having a bad day, and she's like, "Get up, you go get him, Rocky!" Right? And she's like pushing you. You conquer the world. <laughs> when when that environment exists. We call that being uh, a wrecking ball. My wife and I, that's the phrase. Like when we're a wrecking ball is when we're in total alignment and intimately connected, you know, emotionally, logically, everything. But that's like a force field around your kids, around your business. Everything else flows from that. Mm. And the worst thing in the world is to succeed in business and sacrifice your family on the altar of that business. Um, We actually made a video where I like parodying that where I'm like, actually have a knife over my son he's sitting on this altar and it says the business <laughs> altar and, and i look down at him and i say sorry son sales are down this quarter says, oh my i understand and like right so you can see that video on honorandfire.com but oh, we're wow. passionate about this and you will make more money by having a more connected family your business yeah. will grow because of having connected family it's all connected it's all tied together Gosh, I, this makes me think like I, I want to bring you and your wife back on the show because it'd be fun to hear your wife talk about this stuff and, and give her her two cents. And anyways, we'll have to talk about that some other time. But sure. gosh, Josh, you have been like gold. Thank you so much for yes, sharing you. your insights and your thoughts. Um, is there anything you want to leave with our audience? Is there any way they can learn more about you? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I mean, uh, the best way to connect with us right now is through honorandfire.com. It's like a new kind of community and project we're working on for entrepreneurial families. Um, and there's a free Facebook group there that you can find too. And there's a thousand people in there already. Um, it's really, we talk about this kind of stuff, but I guess the closing quote I'll leave you with is, uh, is what I said a little while ago, which is God gives all the birds, all the food they'll ever need, but he doesn't put it in their nest. You got to go get it. And uh, there, are, can I do a second quote? I'm a quote machine. Absolutely. Permission granted. And the follow-up quote to that is, there are a lot of people less talented than you that already have what you want. Mm. And so there's no excuse. Like it's not, I didn't go to college. I went to community college for five seconds. Like I stopped by and I was like, nope, peace out. We'll see you. Right. <laughs> you don't have to be a genius to do this stuff. I was born in Flint, Michigan, you know, pizza guy in the trailer parks, what we're doing now. You just got to go get the food and put it in your own nest. Gosh. Thank you so much, Josh. For those that are listening, please go and subscribe. Give us a review. Tell us what you thought about this episode. Um, Again, this is Parker, uh, co-host Trevor. Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, guys.